Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's guest setlist curator is former contestant Kyle. Kyle was on the first ever episode of Guest of the Year back in October 2022, and he's made several appearances since then. And now he's back curating our 50th episode. Welcome, Kyle. This week's prize pack is provided by Four Direction Batik. Four Direction Batik is changing the typical view of Batik by bringing more of a modern and contemporary feel to the art form. Their styles embody many different batik techniques from all of the eight directions, such as Indian, Indonesian, and West African. The name Four Direction Batik pays homage to those diverse cultures. Their handmade batik are on high-quality t-shirts and tapestries. They also offer wholesale designs. Check out Four Direction Batik via the link in the show notes. Thanks, Charlie, for making this happen, and Mike for connecting us. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants who are all on a video conference together can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadheads standing will hear three tracks, and whoever is closest to the correct years in aggregate wins. We've got our returning champ, Brett, here with us. We'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment, but first, without further ado... The Grateful Dead. The guesses are in. It was Cold Rain and Snow at Poplar Creek Music Theater in Hoffman Estates, Illinois on June 27th, 1983. So that tape didn't have a taper listed on archive, but it was transferred by Charlie Miller. Who else? Kyle, nice choice. Why that Cold Rain and Snow? Uh, This one was basically like the first bootleg I ever had. I have three cousins who turned me on to the dead, gave me a bunch of bootlegs in the early days. And this was like the first one I really remembered having. And it was that song, it was that cut on that tape uh, that just really hooked me. Like, I just love that song. I don't know why I would just play it over and over. And then, of course, you know, the rest of it was very good, too. I mean, it was two nights. Both of them were really good. But the 27th was the one I was most familiar with. Uh, The 28th was that help on the way I played for you, Mike, that you said was very frantic and made you anxious. And uh, I just loved it. That was the gateway drug, basically. Thanks, Kyle. Welcome back to the show. Keaton is the only one who got it right. 1983. Keaton is 18 years old from Little Rock, Arkansas. What'd you hear there, Keaton? I got kind of lucky, I think. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I mean, like, I couldn't, I couldn't really hear all the keys. Super, super well, except I heard uh, I heard Brent playing for like three seconds, and I couldn't tell if it was like uh, I mean, like I kind of I kind of thought it could have been Haiti two or something like that, but at the same time, I thought it could have been Haiti four, and so then I just kind of split. Split it, you know. 
and I got lucky, I guess. I don't know. Worked out. Yeah. What did you hear in Brent's keys there? I mean, like, uh, I mean, like it is the organ sound, but the organ, it, like it kind of has, has a kind of like a dulled tone. And that kind of makes me, and that kind of makes me think of the Shirley to mid Hades. So that's what. Nice poll, Keaton. You're on in the next round. Joining you in the next round is uh, our returning champ, Brett, who guessed 85, as is Dave, who guessed 85. Kendall is odd man out at 86, only three years off on a mid-80s song, and Kendall pays for it. Brutal. But uh, yeah, Brett is 29 from Holland, Pennsylvania. What did you make of that uh, 83 cold rain snow, Brett? Uh, yeah, no, that, that's that's uh, great observations from Keaton there. Um and it just sounded mid '80s to me. I mean, I was thinking uh, uh, it, it sounded awfully a lot like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, one that comes to mind is a Hershey Cold Rain Snow to open up that uh, kind of a classic show there. And so I was kind of thinking of that. Now it's from '85. Not that I'm trying to guess the show here. I'm just trying to imagine sounds kind of in my head. And and so they had sort of an '85 sound, although. Perhaps Jerry's voice wasn't quite raggedy enough uh, as it was in '85 in that in that '83 recording that it, that it was. So maybe it could have been. Maybe I should have perhaps heard it was a little earlier. So anyway, that's what I heard. Dave is also in the next round. He also guessed '85. He's 44 from Midway, Utah, by way of Palo Alto, home of the Grateful Dead. Tell us about your guest, Dave. Um, I I initially was thinking maybe early 80s and then i thought well i shouldn't let the kind of not great quality recording push me that direction you know maybe this is a, a hair later and anything kind of early mid 80s is there are not as many like distinguishing features between those years at least for me there were some moments that were really full and real powerful and i just thought maybe maybe that's more mid 80s i don't know so i went with 85 kendall is 46 from Bellingham, Washington. And Kendall, you guessed 1986, which is pretty reasonable. And yeah, tell us about the guess. Well, yeah, it had mid-80s written all over it. I heard a little bit more Fozzie the Bear, which subconsciously made me go 84, 85. But I've kind of been going through the show a bunch recently, and I, I can't remember an 86 pick, so I was... I'm, I'm, I was like, I'm going to go out on a limb and go for 86. And I should have gone with my subconscious and gone with eight. The first thing I wrote down was 84. And then, oh, let's be 86 for fun. <laughs> Kendall, tell us how you got into the debt. Well, like Dave, I, I grew up in Menlo Park, California, which is home of the Magoo's Pizza Parlor. So the first show, I guess you can say another dead lore. And then recently you have. Dave's picks the Frost Amphitheater. That was just a few miles from my house. So it was kind of always around me. I was in jazz band in high school and it was the dead for me are like that perfect combination of, you know, jazz music, but also Americana, rock and roll folk. And, and I was hooked. And I remember being a summer camp counselor and there was a guy I just called Grandpa Rob. He was probably in his 30s at the time, but he was like a grandpa to me. <laughs> but he just gave me a box of tapes and went from there. And I've been a, a 
Dave's Picks subscriber and, of course, a look at Archive and um, torture my wife on road trips with <laughs> long-winded 72 jams. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, for me, it's, yeah, everything I love about music, the, the improvisational aspect. Um, I was thinking about this the other day while listening to the Frost Amphitheater shows. Uh, there's a sense of humor, too, which I like. Um, th- th- there's a point in the, early on in the show where they're goofing around with Phil. I don't know what's going on, but but the crowd's chanting, chanting we want Phil, and, and Phil sings, and what is it, just like Tom Thumb's blues instead of saying it. My best friend, the doctor, he says, like, my, my best friend, the drummer. So I, I just like the humor that playing with music. And as a, as a jazzer, I, I just have to respect the Grateful Dead. They're, they're top-notch musicians, and, but they put it together with other stuff beyond just jazz. They make it fun and, and add some lyrics. And how can you deny Robert Hunter, one of the greatest lyricist of all time? So, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> I was listening to that show too, and uh, they're chanting, We want Phil. And Jerry says, I think we'll keep him. <laughs> <laughs> the humor's perfect. I love it. So, you, uh, you have a jazz background. So, do you mostly enjoy the, uh, the early or especially enjoy like that 72 you mentioned in 73? My original love of the dead was, yeah, 72, 73, 74. But so I, I recognize there's some really there are some down parts of the nineties, but I've listened to some great nineties shows that are jazzy as well. Phil has a really jazzy sound with his bass. I'm thinking of the 30 trips series, the box set. Those nineties picks are all worth listening to in, in my book. They're jazzy. They're on, I think the entire show, you know, sometimes in the nineties, they'd be on for one part of the show and then kind of, iffy on the rest of the show but i I think all those on on that box set from the 90s are worth listening to the thesis of the grateful dead is like a rainbow of sound and they they get that rainbow of sound really going well in the 90s yeah cool and you're wearing a particularly heady uh is it a food co-op shirt you said um i i volunteer at the bellingham food food bank so one of my fellow volunteers is a big head too, and I'll, I'll let him know I was on the show, and he designed the shirt. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's a groovy organization in Bellingham. We feed probably uh, thousands of families a week. So yeah, well, thanks for doing that work, and um, it was really a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a great experience. I, I love your show. So thanks. Yeah, thanks, Kendall. Um, and I'll put that link, uh, if you send me the link to the, um, the food bank, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Dave, Brett, and Keaton are on in the next round, and Kyle's another pick. Let's hear it. I see all of Southeast Asia. I can see El Salvador. I hear the cries of children. And the other songs of war It's like a mighty melody That rings out from the sky Standing here upon the moon I watch it All right, the guesses are in. Standing on the Moon at 
Alpine Valley Music Theater in East Troy, Wisconsin on July 17th, 1989. <laughs> I got roasted. <laughs> um, yeah, Kyle, why that standing on the moon? Uh, that was actually the first dead show I attended. I was 14 and uh, I mean, it was great. Alpine Valley, if you don't know the venue, it's a beautiful outdoor venue. It's uh famously where Stevie Ray Vaughan crashed into the mountain a year later. But, you know, it's it's on a hill. The the theatrically released version of that is called Downhill from Here. And they're referring to the to the hill. And I'd never seen the band before. And that was basically like what would have like been the Jerry Ballad for that particular show. And uh this like literally a fucking beautiful full moon came up over the stage, you know, like earlier in the night. So it was like full, full bloom right over the stage. And it was also the 20th anniversary of the moon landing right around that time period. So, you know, that was in 69 and this show was in 89. So all that week it had been like a news story. So this was like the first show they had played in that time span. You know, July 16th was when it actually launched in 1969. So all those elements kind of came together perfectly. And during those like Jerry Ballad portions of the show, it was like this like quiet would sort of come over everything. And no matter how much they'd been rocking out earlier, it would just sort of get quiet. And he would just like hold that place in the palm of his hand. And you really saw like what that dude was capable of. And that was the first time I ever saw it. And it just blew me away. I was like, you know, this is different. You know, this is, this is like a deep band, you know, like, I love Kiss. I'm the world's biggest Kiss fan, but like you pull the trigger of my love gun is just as stupid today as it was in like 1978 or whenever I heard it for the first time. Whereas the dead, you know, these songs have this way of kind of looping back around. And, uh, you know, like I said, when they played it that night, they'd only played it a handful of times. It was a new song. I was 14 and I really enjoyed it. But then, you know, a couple decades later, you know, these things kind of boomerang back around and, uh, you know, these Garcia Hunter songs, I mean, they'll, Keenan, you got to brace yourself, dude. They're going to come back and hit you upside the head like a two by four. I mean, it's no joke. You're going to be like, wow, man, like hearing it for the first time 35 years later, because all of a sudden you just go, now I get it. And they, they wrote these, you know, a lot, not that song, but a lot of these songs they wrote when they were like in their twenties, you know, and there was like this world weariness of, of somebody much older. I mean, Jerry looked like he was a hundred when he was in his twenties. And I think it's because he kind of came from another time. Like he really wasn't of his time. He was like, I don't know where he was from, but totally blew me away. And you know that, you know, post Drums in Space, Jerry Ballad's coming up when you're attending the show. What are you hoping it is? <laughs> well, I was always hoping it wasn't going to be China Doll. You know, I'm going to just throw that bomb out <laughs> on the dance floor for everyone. Whoa. I, I'm weird with the Jerry stuff. A lot of those Jerry songs I can't stand. China Dow, I can't stand. It must have been the roses. I can't stand. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I said it. <laughs> but like the best ones to me, I mean, this was actually a pre-space. They didn't have like the post-space that night. It was all rockers after that. Although I guess the that was when they busted out and we bid you good night for the first time in 10 years at that point since the closing of Winterland. So that kind of was like a ballad-ish vibe. But uh, Wharf Rat would have been a top pick, definitely. Black Peter, I love that song too. 
So I was always really, uh, but of course, at the time, you know, like, what's your favorite Grateful Dead song? Whichever one is playing right now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brett was closest. He's on to the finals. He guessed 1990. What made you say 90? I am shocked no one got that on because I was, oh, man. I, was I literally so threw that to you guys as a softball. Like, here's a gift. <laughs> you all get to go on. <laughs> See, the frustrating part is that I, I was thinking official release. I'm not remotely surprised to hear it from 89. I've heard that, obviously. For me, it was the big sound. It's just the big late, like 89, 90, and then onwards. I guess the sound just stays big. But, it, but you could hear the Brent keys in there, too. And what was Bobby doing there? Oh yeah, it's 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 the big. I I love it. That's probably it. Might be my favorite Bobby era. Is that big like these big chords, just again laying down that like tapestry for everyone else to work on. Cool, Brett. You're on to the finals. As is Keaton, who guessed 1992 because Dave guessed 1994. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Dave hangs his head. <laughs> in shame total shame no shame no shame uh keaton tell us about 92 well that was a pretty hard song for me i mean i'd say like uh uh the late hades and the early 90s are my weak point and um i'm just not super good at distinguishing um Vince from Brent, um, but I didn't hear two keyboardists, and so then I was like, "Then it's then it could be, it could be eighty nine or nineteen ninety, but it also could be ninety two ten and and so i just kind of picked uh 92 and then yeah i don't know i got kind of lucky again i guess but (laughs) no man when you're two years off you're not lucky well great work eden you're on the finals dave guess 1994 tell us dave oh gosh i'm so mad so um typically I can pull out an 89 easily and I don't have typically any problem differentiating Brent from any other keyboardist uh, in the band but there's something about the synth and the effects on the keyboard that was very Vince to me and um I I I got to see a great standing on the moon in 1995 June of 1990 I believe it was June 1995 and you know I thought maybe this is one of one of those strong moments jerry had in the in in the late 90s i knew i didn't hear two keyboards so i was going post post brent and vince and so i thought 94 will put me between kind of 93 and 95 and uh, i just got too hung up on that synth because i was not familiar with hearing brent quite use that really ethereal celestial kind of thing that goes with standing on the moon Uh, maybe he always did and i'm just in this moment thinking that's something Vince does but uh there we go. So be it. Yeah. Tell us how you got into the dead, Dave. Um, okay. So eighth grade, I'm starting to play guitar and I'm kind of inhaling all things classic rock and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin 
And um, I used to do my homework in um, our laundry room where we had this like sewing table and a little dual tape deck boom box. And I would just put music on and do my homework. And that was kind of like a little quiet space in my house where no one would bug me. And my sister, who was into the dead, and I didn't really know, I thought the dead was like a metal band with that name, with that name and the skeletons and everything. I, I, I hadn't heard it yet, though, but I knew she was into the band. And she uh, brought me skeletons from the closet and then American Beauty and Working Man's Dead. And so I just started, you know, letting that get, get absorbed into my, you know, my, my whole psyche. So um, and then I would say also my dad, my dad is not a deadhead in any way, but my dad is a guy who's interested in all things interesting. If something's interesting, he wants to know all about it and how it works and everything. And obviously the Grateful Dead and their fans are very interesting. And so um, he heard that the Grateful Dead were in town. I think my sister was already going to the show. This was May of May of 93. And uh, again, growing up in Palo Alto, we were close to Shoreline Amphitheater. And so my dad got a couple tickets uh, in the seats and we went to the show and I already had a, a good number of songs in my, uh, in my mind, you know, having started to listen to them. And for him, it was sort of like a spectacle, you know, sort of like, oh, wow, look at that. Look at this crazy scene. Look at all these interesting people, you know? And in my mind, I was like, I kind of want to be part of all these crazy people. And, um, I remember during, uh, in the first set, they were playing friend of the devil and I hadn't heard the slow version before. Cause I was only familiar with the album. And my dad went off to the bathroom and I started dancing. But like when he came back, I just kind of sat there, you know, because I was too embarrassed to like let myself get into it with my dad there, you know. And um, but I was just blown away, you know, look, turning around and looking up at the lawn and just seeing all of these people totally locked in, you know, and the beach balls bouncing and lots of hair, you know, it was just it was just amazing. And um, I, after that, between the ages of 13 and 15, I somehow, here's my tickets. Uh, here we go. I, I, some, I, I somehow made it to like 16 or 17 shows and a few, uh, a few Jerry Garcia band shows. And I don't know how I managed to get to those shows. I don't know how my parents allowed me to go to those shows <laughs> at that age. The shows that were at, uh, at Shoreline, actually, some of those were obviously easier. It was so close to home. And I rode my bike to a lot of those shows, about a half hour bike ride from my house. And, um, just really cool memories, like coming out of the show and riding my bike through the chaos of the parking lot. And then once you get out of the chaos, you're in the, in the, the Baylands, which is sort of the wetlands there uh, near the, near the Bay. And it was just silence, you know, and just kind of thinking about the show and all the songs that I'd heard that night and all the cool experiences. So those were just awesome memories. So grateful, you know, and, uh, for many, um, for many years as I grew up, I sort of put it away, you know, sort of feeling like, okay, that was sort of a, uh, an adventurous, misguided youth that I had. And I kind of tucked that away. And then during the pandemic, you know, sort of dove back in and uh, sort of reconnected with that part of myself. And so uh, just love the music and grateful for the adventure it's been. So. so you danced a little bit when your dad was there. And then what, what kind of attendee were you when you went by yourself when you didn't have to do yeah. it in front of your dad? Um, some of the shows that I, I saw at Oakland Coliseum, uh, worked my way up to the front and shows at shoreline. I was usually in the, in the grass somewhere. And, um, I was, I was all in, I was definitely dancing at, at those shows. And in fact, the, the next year, I think in July 94, um, there was, a 
there was a show and I, and I was there and I didn't know it, but my dad decided to take my brother and his wife. And he, for the same reason, he's like, you have to see this. You've never seen anything like this. This is like, unlike anything. And so he takes them to the, to the show and I get home after the show and they're telling me all about their experience. You know, they're like, oh, it was so crazy. People were twirling around and dancing and they were just sort of like marveling. They weren't criticizing. It was just more like, wow, it's, you know, cause it's, it's a lot, you know, it's sensory overload. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm like, they didn't realize I'm also there totally dancing with all these people. <laughs> you know, uh, I wasn't there to just observe and, you know, watch from the outside. You know, I was totally in it. So in one little anecdote, my, my sister-in-law who went that night, a year later, she was in labor for like 24 hours. And in the hospital, they said, you know, think of something. I don't know, they told her to like, think of something that was just like, take her, like, like, relax her mind or think of something that would take you away to another place or something like that. And she immediately thought of the, her experience at the Grateful Dead show uh, because <laughs> she remembers watching people dancing and twirling and just being like completely, you know, in the moment. And she like was like, wow, I, I wish I, I'd like to experience that, you know. So it was interesting. She had such an impression on her that it came to her while in labor, you know. So uh, I always thought yeah. that was funny. Especially when people may think of like a mythical place, you know, uh, and, <laughs> and she did do choose this like pocket in time. That's really cool. Yeah, kind of random, but well, anyway, thank you. I wish, gosh, of course. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And Mike, congrats on what is a, a really awesome show. It's such a great way to reconnect. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, man. And thanks for coming on. Keaton and Brett are on to the finals. It's three songs. And whoever has the lowest aggregate score over the three songs wins and continues on to next week. Kyle's got great pick for him. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah. And the winner gets the prize pack from Four Direction Batique. Thanks again to Four Direction Batique. Let's hear the next track. The guesses are in Mission in the Rain, Auditorium Theater in Chicago, Illinois, detecting a trend on June 29th, 1976. Kyle, beautiful rendition as all of them are. Why this Mission in the Rain? There's just something about that song. I mean, that's like one of the baddest ass songs ever, and they fucking nailed it. And guess what? They never played it again. That's the last time they ever played it. Now, most bands, if they played something that well, they would literally be playing it every day for the rest of their careers. And the dead were like, ah, fuck it. We don't need it anymore. And that blows me away. <laughs> totally blows me away. All right. So 76, of course, is back from the hiatus. And that was when the, the first real tour they did, of course, I think was the summer. So this was in the first couple of runner shows. Chicago, they played 
uh, that show, and it was an, a WXRT broadcast. So that was one of the 70s tapes that I did have. You know, most of my bootlegs were in the 80s. But that 76 uh, auditorium was one of the, yeah, yeah, I think that was the first 70s bootleg I actually had, like before I got Barton Hall, before I had any other ones. Uh, before David Gans became our, our gateway drug, you know, giving us all the uh, all the older stuff that we just didn't have access to. That was the one I had, and I just played it into the ground. I loved it. It's so good. If you haven't listened to the rest of it, check it out. 76, definitely underrated. You know, 77 gets all the glory, uh, deservedly so, but 76, uh, I don't know. They were still really good, you know, like Everybody thinks Keith Olsen whipped him into shape for 77, but uh, they were doing just fine in 76. Beautiful. Well, they both got the 76, nailed it. Nice work, guys. Keaton, how'd you diagnose 76? You just know that's the year they played the song? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, like, I think it is on the download series or something. And then, like, um, I know they played it with the Jerry Garcia band in '77, some, but, um, I mean, but I mean, yeah, the the only version I had ever listened to, it was from 1976. Um, so I picked it pretty much because of that. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh. As people have said uh, on the podcast and stuff like uh, uh, just like about uh how Keith um he starts to play I guess I guess you could say more like blocky in seventy seven and and seven and in seventy eight Tom and in that song he wasn't playing blocky and uh he was playing i mean like all the notes and stuff and so then uh that just makes me think of 1976 so really nice observation keaton totally everything was very delicate and uh donna's harmonies were i thought were perfect there that's like the peak like donna harmony right there just kind of subtly kind of weaving in and out and Brett, same uh, rationale. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was the only year. I, I mean, what, 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 the second it came on, I was just like, I was just grooving to it. I'm like, man, I love that song. And same with, same with uh, what, what Kyle was saying. It just can't believe they never played it again. I think um, '76 is an underappreciated year, especially as she got on into October. And of course, everyone knows the Cow Palace. But yeah, that 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 year is, has some really shining moments. It really works up to, uh, you can, you can tell 77 was going to be special. Um, did Bobby's tone change dramatically from 76 to 77 in his, in his rig, Kyle? Not that I really can think of, you know, I, I don't know whether he was playing the, you know, he had that 335, you know, the, the hollow body kind of like Chuck Berry looking guitar with the humbuckers. And then he had that Ibanez. I don't know when that came into the mix and that was primarily humbuckers, but it did have the single coil in the middle position. So that was when he first started, I think, dipping his toe into like the single coil sound, which, you know, you can jump on YouTube and, and do like one of those uh, A-B tests, you know, split screens where somebody, you know, guitar nerd is demonstrating 
a guitar with humbuckers and a guitar with a single coil. And you can hear immediately like the difference. And then when you kind of apply that to him, that's where, you know, you really see Bobby's sound in the, you know, the eighties, totally different. I mean, completely different. He was more uh, dominant in the mix. And like I said, in 89, I mean, I was absolutely just standing there staring at, you know, his short shorts, of course, and, uh, you know, caught up in all that. <laughs> but he's a monster guitar player. I mean, one of the best I've ever seen in person. And I've seen a lot of great, you know, I've seen a, a zillion bands by now and some of the true greats. I mean, seeing Trey in the early 90s was like, you know, one of the greats in his heyday. But there was just something about Bob Weir where he was just so different. You know, like I, I said, like the only person I've ever seen live that kind of reminded me somewhat of, of Bob Weir's The Edge from U2 you know, with like, uh, the economy of notes, you know, just letting things ring, uh, minimalism, uh, not beating you over the head with a lot of notes, you know, having the, uh, delicate sort of, you know, dynamics to it. And the edge and Bob Weir are the only two that I've ever seen live where I'm just sort of like, yeah, that, like you guys have that. And I don't even know what the hell that is, but you guys have it. Far out. Love it, Kyle. You know, before we go on to the next round, song two of three, unless there's a tie. Keaton, could you tell us how you got into the dead? Some, yeah. Um, so I think I was probably about 13 or 14 uh, when I really started to get into music and stuff. I started like um, listening on like Spotify and and, uh, and like a stuff like that um and then and then um i got into i got into uh longer songs like especially like 10 10 10 minute songs like i was like this is this is this is like this is awesome um and then and then uh so my dad, he he was kind of into the dead. I mean, he would play like a, a lot of their hits and stuff. Um, but I think, like a, like a distinct memory for me. Um, I think it was me and my dad and my mom in the car, and um, she was she was playing a. Sh- and i think it was like 12 minutes long and my mom was like oh my gosh this song just keeps on going this is terrible like what the heck <laughs> yeah only 12 minutes yeah only 12 so, minutes <laughs> um and so then i was like who uh what band like like uh plays super long songs and at the time i was getting into guitar and stuff and so then and so then i'm like i i definitely need to listen to to uh to the dead now and so then uh i tried to listen to them and i say the first like 10 10 times i tried I was like, 
this is this music is just not that good to me, which was kind of some. And then I came back probably when I was like 16 and then um, I got kind of into it. Um, And then I think it was in the morning uh, in the summertime. um, I can't remember what concert, but I, but uh, I know it was in 74 and um, I think it was size of the world into um, I think it was like the uh, Slipknot into China doll. And then I heard that and then, I was like, this music is awesome, pretty much. And yeah, yeah. I see you have a an almost famous poster behind you and you're into the dead. And I'm wondering, do you have like a a certain, you know, infatuation with that bygone era of music as in, in addition to the music? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the uh the first band I got super into was Led Zeppelin. I mean, like I was, I was huge into them. And then I started to, ex- and then, um, and then, uh, I started to explore like into, uh, Crosby and, uh, Stills, Nash and Young. And then Jerry, he played, um, like on the, uh, teacher children. And so then I was like, he is, he sounds super good on the guitar. And then, yeah, I mean, but like a, like 70s classic rock is like, I love that stuff. I love that kind of music. It's really good. What's your favorite contemporary band? I'd probably say it's this guy named Kurt. Vile and I really like Kurt Vile. He's really awesome. So, and like, um, he is the person who got me into like all the, like into all the like twelve minutes songs and stuff like that. So, I love Kurt Vile too. So, um, yeah, it's zero zero. Two more songs and uh, more if we need them. Here's Kyle's next pick. I know, I know, I can't do it all by myself. Got to got to help somebody to help me now, now. Yes, I do. I got to help somebody to help me. Please help me stop this old pain. Pain is in living, living, living now. Oh, now, now, now. I wound my heart. Oh, please help me stop this pain in my heart. Oh, now. Oh, oh, oh. All right, the guesses are in. Pain in My Heart, first ever on Guest of the Year. Fillmore in San Francisco on November 19th, 1966. Pigpen's back on Guest of the Year. Thank you, Kyle. Tell us about that one. Honestly, I, I picked it because I just thought it was fantastic. You know, they played that show on the uh, the Dead Pod one day. And, and, you know, I was never really like a Pigpen guy 
just in general, he doesn't, you know, in, in my view, he doesn't really fit with the dead. The dead became the dead kind of later. But, you know, somebody who saw them in that era would have been like, oh yeah, Pigpen's the leader. Like he's the, the front man of the band, you know? And that was a good example of like what he brought to the table. He sort of got pushed aside by the end, whether it was through, you know, his own medical issues and being sick and just not really basically being a virtuoso. I mean, the other people in the band progressed in ways he didn't. But I like that one because it really kind of captured Pigpen. Like, you know, for those of us that don't know what he brought to the table, I thought that was a good example of that. And I want to give him some love on, on Guest of the Year. It's funny. Yeah, we're, we've been talking about him a bit on the show. And can you think of a band that has a dramatic talent disparity that stayed together? I mean, you know, the classic talent disparities like the White Stripes, you know, and a band like that where, you know, Meg White is perfectly capable, but Jack White's a fucking genius. So like there's a disparity. Then you have other bands, you know, I don't think anybody ever accused Bill Wyman of being a great bass player, but he's perfect for the Stones. Virtuosity is one of those things where, you know, those, those like, I call it musical masturbation, you know, like the, the Steve Vai, Joe Satriani sort of, you know, guitar style, you know, it lacks a certain charm that just that chemistry of bands that just click together, you know, that chemistry in a band really does matter. And you don't have to be the best musicians in the world to just have that perfect click where you're like, that's it, it works. And, you know, the musical masturbation genre, which was huge when I was younger, you know, like, you know, people would be like, dude, man, you going to see, you know, Satriani. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really my jam <laughs> i mean i love steve Vai in his zappa years you know but then listening to like his uh you know solo work it's it's too shreddy and too math rock and too you know it just didn't uh i like music from the balls more so than the head you know it's just a different body part what's the preeminent math rock band i mean like you know satriani and that sort of thing for like the solo artist it depends who whom you ask. I mean, some people would argue like Rush is in that, you know, froggy sort of thing. I love Rush. Rush is another band like Kiss where like, you know, nobody ever invited me to a party because of my love of Rush. But they're really awesome. And, you know, I got to see Rush live at Alpine Valley. That was a great show. And uh, I could basically uh, talk about Rush for hours on end, you know, and I never got in a lot of those other proggy bands like you know, yes. You know, when people tell me they like, yes, I'm just like, really? Seriously? Steely Dan, another one. Like, you know, when people tell me they like Steely Dan, I want to throw a fucking chair at them because it's like, <laughs> just, wow. I just don't get it. I mean, it's so horrible. If I were, you know, a Marine at Guantanamo trying to make a, a, a captive crack, I would play Steely Dan until they snapped and told me everything. I said it. There it is. Wow, this is gonna, that's that's going to be a divisive one, and I I respect you going out there and saying it, Kyle. People that love Steely Dan really fucking love Steely Dan too. That's why it's very. Uh, I've been impressive. cornered at every party in the world by those assholes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Brett guessed sixty-seven. He was one year off, and Keaton guessed seventy-one. Brett, why sixty-seven? Uh the funny thing is, the first thing that kind of popped in my head was sixty-six, but then I'm like, this is a great recording. And I'm like, maybe it was the year after. But I mean, I guess there wouldn't be a ton of difference, perhaps, in the recording quality. And I think, and I do remember the pain in my heart. It just sounded more jammed out, I guess. I, I, I thought 
Um, it sounded a little more of an extended jam, um, just in terms of the the outro kind of. Uh, I don't know what part of the song necessarily, but it just sounded a little more jammed out. So I, maybe I, th- I thought they had started to uh, develop a little more. Um, so that's why the slightly later year, but yeah, sixty six makes total sense. Yeah, you're about a month and a half off. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, come Get on, the man. idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Keaton, sixty nine. Another very reasonable guess. Why sixty nine? Well, I mean. I kind of thought that that song was probably in like the 66 like time period, but I thought the band and the recording, it sounded super tight. And so then I'm like, then it can't be like 66 and stuff like that. So then, yeah. And so then I just, I just, I just, I just, that's, 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 that's stuff pretty bad, but you know, it happens. <laughs> 60s are tough. Brett is up by two. He has one point and Keaton has three. And there's one song left in the finals. Keaton needs to make up some ground. Very possible. But first, Kyle, we've already heard how you got in the dead. And if you haven't heard it, you can go back and listen to episode one. After your run, you emailed me and said that throughout your run, you were battling cancer. And when you had emailed me that, the prognosis was like not good. And now you're doing great. And I'm wondering if you could just tell a little bit about that journey. Yeah. I mean, the world's not rid of me yet. So, uh, you know, the, the, the first, I was on the first four episodes, you know, Mike, couldn't find a I lost on the first episode. I'm like, couldn't find people for the second week. So he's like, hey man, would you mind playing again? And uh, I came on and then I won actually. And then I won the third episode and then I lost in the fourth now legendary episode with uh, Riley and, and Luke, who totally blew me away, both, you know, in their playing and in the score. But those, those four weeks were my last four weeks of chemo. I basically did three months of chemo and radiation. And it was, you know, a long haul and, you know, I was lucky in ways, you know, my, uh, chemo, I got, didn't make my hair fall out. So I was able to like, not let anybody know anything was going on, but you know, as time went on, it started to really like, you know, become a thing. Like my veins were all collapsed, you know, by the end of it, like they couldn't find a vein for, I was, they were doing it in my arms, you know, and then it was just getting so bad. They were like, well, we might have to whatever neck area surgical port things and my arms had turned black i don't know if i showed you that picture like my arms i mean i just looked like a total junkie like my vein every vein in my arm was black because of the chemo but i saw this random thing on reddit and it was like you know mike's posting saying hey i'm doing this grateful dead quiz show about guest in the year and i showed my girlfriend i was like oh check it out this dude's doing a podcast of what we always play in the car. And she's like, <laughs> should go on. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to go on. And she's just like, why not? I said, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, I do it in the car, but like, you know, I have no aspirations of being, you know, on a podcast or a TV show or anything like that. It's just, I'm a, I, I don't think like that. And she's basically like, don't be a pussy. Just go on. Like, what's the worst <laughs> that'll happen? You know? And, and I was like, Okay, so I reached out to Mike, and then that ended up being, you know, the, my last four weeks of chemo was the four weeks I did your show, and it was like a gift 
that you could not even imagine because it was like the first time, like she said, you know, that was the first time since all of this cancer crap started that you were actually smiling and like actually like, you know, elated in a good mood because these, these recordings are fun. I mean, this is a great hang. I love your show. And, you know, you didn't know at the time, but you gave me this beautiful gift of that, you know, giving me something to sort of, uh, distract me with, all of, from all of the stuff that was going on. And then, you know, as time went on and I got, cause they were doing the chemo and radiation, basically shrink the tumor enough to be able to operate. So then, you know, a little ways down the line before I went into surgery, I told Mike, you know, Hey man, like, thanks for you know, putting me on your show. And, uh, I remember when I woke up from surgery, you know, one of the first emails or texts I got was actually from Mike going, Hey man, I hope you're all right. And here's the a sneak preview of the next episode, you know, and I got like the, the world premiere, you know, which was great. And, uh, I just want to thank you, Mike, personally, you know, as a person and as the creator of the podcast, cause like, you know, you didn't know it at the time, uh, but you really gave me a big gift there. Like you did me a solid and it's, it's kind of that weird thing with the grateful dead where they kind of have this weird way of kind of boomeranging back around in your life at various points and sort of giving you this weird gift that like, you know, kiss just never gave me mike i mean like i keep listening to kiss but it's not like this you know the dad had just a, a weirder thing where they sort of uh they sort of look after you in a weird way so thank you for that well thank you kyle and you also gave me a great gift because um it's very possible that if you hadn't said yes to that then the show wouldn't exist because that episode had four people on it and i wasn't going to do it with three and I was just like, it's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to get people. I don't want to do this every week. And you're the only repeat contestant because you're like, save the day. And you came back on. Which and makes me by... the, the losingest player in guest of your history. That's, <laughs> that's one way yeah, yeah, but I mean, but then by as soon as that, because we record in advance, as soon as the next episode came out, I had a list of, you know, 10 people. And now I have a list of a lot of people. And, but for that one week before anyone else had heard the episode, you were you kept the thing going and uh i've always appreciated that and um yeah and i'm wondering as you were dealing with this you know fighting cancer did how you choose to spend your time change at all i don't like you know i i sort of hinted at you know some of these things they sort of hit you on a, a deeper level you know some of that world weariness sort of thing really the only way my life is different is a, you know i i view everything now as like you know you only have right now so like my deal is like, I do shit right now. I don't wait. It doesn't go to tomorrow. I do it now. If I want to be on this, I do it now. If I want to write something, build another guitar, whatever I'm doing, like I do it right now. There's no tomorrow that is not, you know, guaranteed. And you always know it in a sort of uh, theoretical sense. But you know, when you're sitting in a chemo ward and they're like, oh, your veins are collapsed, dude, we don't know what we're going to do. And you know, and you're just like, man, if I ever get out of this fucking chair, it's going to be different. You know, I'm not going to dick around and waste all my time because, you know, I hate to break it to Keaton, but you're going to sneeze and you're going to be 48, excuse me, 49 <laughs> like me. You're going to be like, what the fuck? Because it, I mean, it does go that fast. Every year gets faster. It's just how it works. Um, and I mean, I, I, first time I was on this show, I was 47. Now I'm 49. And it seems like I just met you like a half an hour ago, Mike, but like it just goes. So do it now, Keaton. Don't just sit there. <laughs> <laughs> is is it difficult in terms of just do it now, do it now? And a lot of people, it's a discipline. It's a discipline they fail at. 
given that this momentum that you've gotten, is it difficult for you to do things now or is it just easy? Honestly, it's easy for me. I think it might be difficult for people around me because, uh, you know, they're maybe on a little slower, like, you know, relaxed tip and I'm like, you know, not. And it's just like, you know, I got it right now, let's do it. And, uh, you know, that's really the only way that really I seem any different now, you know, where it's just right now is all you got. Appreciate you, Kyle. Um, let's hear the next one. All right, the guesses are in. Stronger than dirt or milking the turkey at Kizar uh, Stadium in San Francisco on March 23rd, 1975. Second ever 75 on the show. Kyle, tell us about it. Uh, I like that show because that was the first show they played in my in my lifetime. I was born in October of 74, right after the, uh, the Winterland run. So I was always curious about what did they play in my lifetime? And that was a very weird show. It was a benefit show. Uh, nothing normal about it. It wasn't even really a show show, like a proper show. It was like a set, basically. I don't know. They played probably less than an hour and they had a couple guests on there. So it, the keyboardy thing, it reminded me of like Miles Davis Bitches Brew, if anybody's familiar with that album, where you have that like uh, fusion-y, like Fender Rhodes, you know, keyboard. And uh, I love that era of Miles Davis, Bitches Brew, uh, there's just something about it I liked, and it reminded me of it. And then Jerry does some really, really, really good guitar work in there. Very clean, very just, he was really on top of his game, you know, like he hadn't, uh, he hadn't wasted that break. Like he really was playing all the time and was just in top form. Uh, I looked it up. I saw a picture of it. So Keith is playing a Fender Rhodes and Ned, how do you pronounce it? Lagan something, Ned of Seastones fame. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was playing a different keyboard, and Merle Saunders was playing an organ, and he was not in the photograph. But you know, I knew you guys were going to be able to tell that wasn't you know Bruce and Vince, you know, so I wasn't <laughs> going to like screw you guys that way. And mostly, I just liked it because of that guitar work and the and the the, the jam and just the the coolness of it. And I wanted to prove to Joseph that three keyboard players can work together. <laughs> yeah, I said that, Joseph. I know you're listening. <laughs> um, Joseph was one of the first to um, to question the d double keyboards, and he reunited with uh, Kyle in the uh, team game, and the conversation continued. And now Kyle claps back while Joseph is unable to defend himself. Joseph will have to come back on and uh, <laughs> get the last word in. He will very politely explain to me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Um, so Brett, who is really making a name for himself on guest of the year, got it exactly 75. He's the back-to-back -back champ. Keaton guessed a very reasonable 80, but Brett, tell us, uh, do you recognize the show? Yeah, I listened to that show. I, 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 I love that show too. The sound just jumped right out at me. I mean, it had to be 75 and there's so few 75 shows and 
and it has that sort of jazz sort of feel to it. You, you know, you can hear the, again, again, the new feel to the extra, um, drummer in there. And then really they actually made it, made it a little bit tough. I mean, you, you had the multiple, uh, just with a the snippet there with the multiple uh, keyboardists, it was definitely a bit different, but def- I, I think the grounding thing in there was, was the, uh, I knew the song basically, but uh, the J- Jerry's guitar, roughly in that uh, that that sort of that kind of playing really uh, just st- stood out to me. Um, I felt like everyone was really focused, like nobody was sort of no one was off doing their own thing, off in their own world, the, under any other kind of influences or anything like that. Um, I, I felt like they were all really focused and they were serious about playing in in that moment. Keaton, you guessed 1980. Why 80? Kind of an, I'm kind of a, in Paris about it um, because uh, I had probably in the past three months, I have listened to that 75 show about six times. So, so I'm a little embarrassed <laughs> about that. Um, <laughs> so, um, but, but um, I think it was, so like on the keys, um, it, didn't sound i mean like any of the early 70s or the late 70s and the guitar it um i knew it was like past 74 i mean but it just kind of sounded different to me and the recording from like 70s and stuff like that um so then i was like todd don't and um and so then todd didn't really know what else to put so then i just put haiti and kind of hope for the best and it didn't work out keaton thank you so much for for coming on great run loved your insights and um brett congratulations on the back-to-back reincarnation of steve over here you know um <laughs> and uh kyle i wanted to have you on for the 50th because you're on for the first and it's uh you're a huge part of the show the a big reason why it's still going even and uh yeah i really appreciate you no problem man thanks for having me it was great to meet all you guys i mean keaton i gotta say like you know this show's interesting because if somebody told me in 1995 that like 20 plus years later, there'd be like young people really into the dead. I wouldn't have really believed it because by the time the nineties rolled on, like they were kind of just not in fashion anymore. And, and for some reason they kind of disappeared, you know, they didn't have that like legacy that some bands just continue to get big and the dead kind of didn't. And by the time the late nineties rolled around, I was listening to like chemical brothers and crystal method and just different i was in a totally different headspace and i just never thought you know there would be like younger people into it and then i come on this show and like we mentioned riley a couple times i mean she blew my mind because she was so young and she was into this stuff and she wasn't even like born when jerry was alive you know and i was just so blown away and you've done this consistently through the show you brought younger people on that are pretty much salvaging their generation's uh, <laughs> reputation to us old farts, um, where, you know, I, I have a more, uh, nuanced opinion of younger people now, primarily because of this show. Thank you for listening. 
For all the show links, including our YouTube channel, go to guesttheyear.net. And if you want to be contested on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at Thanks so much to everyone at Four Direction Batik. The link is in the show notes. Such cool batik. I, yeah, I, I don't know how they mass produce them. It must take forever. I know it takes a couple hours per batik. So the fact that they do that on a mass scale is pretty incredible. And they do not sacrifice artfulness. I'll promise you that. It's, uh, they do great, great work. And I know they have uh, some sphere batiks going out soon. So please check that out. And where to the sphere this summer? Thank you again, Charlie and Mike. Shout out to Dylan for drawing the poster and James and Jack for helping out behind the scenes. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to Brett on the back-to-back wins. And to other contestants, thanks for playing. And remember, it's all one song anyway. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.